and welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where a bunch of folks from Philly get together and talk about movies. Um, we, again, are so excited to be brought into the Movie John network fold with an awesome collection of other podcasts. Um, and so be sure to check those out as well. And... Um, we started last week with this month's theme of heist movies, which we're going to continue uh, rolling right through. But before we do, how is everyone doing? Quick pulse check. I'm still alive. <laughs> Great. I'm so glad. <laughs> Excited to talk about heists. Seen any um, good movies, bad movies? Um I was exhausted on Monday and I just needed to decompress. And so I watched The Last Jedi. Um, it worked. It helped. But then I think it prompted me to unfortunately bombard one of my roommates today with uh, me complaining about Rise of Skywalker. I literally forced her to watch certain parts of the movie with me. And then I compared it to Return of the Jedi. And I was like, see, see, this is why it was bad. No, they're not the same. They're not the they're same. They're not the same. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, God bless. She was like, okay. And, but I just like steamrolled right over whatever she wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. You get a lot of negative thoughts uh, when you're talking about Rise of Skywalker. That's for sure. Um, so that was one of the last movies I saw in theaters. Oh, well, you know, hopefully that turns around. That's so sad. Um, I, I finally got around to watching Blade Runner 2049. Nice. Okay, how'd that go? And? It was great. It was phenomenal. I was a little too tired. So I definitely, mm. I mean, if I wasn't tired, I would do a second rewatch. Like, that's how, like, what's going on here? Like, what, 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 like, how does this connect to that? I mean, what a great way, like, maybe the best example of a sequel later. Like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, just, I mean, Denis Villeneuve is just a master of what he does. And it just made me so excited for Dune. And I'm so happy with how they handled Ryan Gosling's character. I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm glad what happens, like reveals in the beginning are what they are. Cause then that doesn't make the movie a puzzle box about that one element. And they withheld yeah. Harrison Ford for most of the movie. I could not believe the restraint of that, he's, of that move. He's getting old, you know, apparently on the set, he actually, uh, they were, they were trying to shoot one of the scenes and uh, he accidentally clocked Ryan Gosling in the face like actually hit him because the blocking didn't work out and the choreography wasn't right. You can find a picture of that online and it's a, an amazing picture because Harrison Ford's face is just like a portrait of like instant regret and concern and Ryan Gosling taking a punch, but almost like, I just took a punch from Harrison Ford. <laughs> it's so good. Yes. Definitely check out that photo. I have two questions. Have Is his name Denis? Is that how you pronounce it? I thought that's how I've heard it, Denis Villeneuve. Oh my gosh! Well, I don't speak French, and so I like completely have fucked that up. So I apologize to a director who I absolutely love, Connery. Please watch it again because, in my experience, every time I watch it again, I love it even more. <laughs> so I was uh, texting along with um, friend of the show, Sam Hone. Sam, mm, not last name, and um, and she was enjoying. I was like, oh, this person's here. Oh, okay. Like in the beginning with an actor <laughs> that I love. Um, so that was a fun, that was fun to text along with, with somebody. She was enjoying that. Nice. Um, 
I revisited Goodfellas for, you know, probably like the hundredth time. Uh, and it's still perfect. Uh, I'm happy to report. Uh, every time I go back, I, I notice something new. And uh, we hate movies. Uh, my fave podcast, uh, as of this release, probably about a month ago, um, did do a We Love Movies episode on Goodfellas that was three hours long. And I enjoyed every moment of it. Well, speaking of a movie that probably is the complete opposite of Goodfellas, I watched Suicide Squad the other night. <laughs> and I mean, like, it was so bad. It made me appreciate Birds of Prey even more. I really enjoyed Birds of Prey. But then I was like, oh, yeah, Birds of Prey completely like negate or like in a the best way possible, like negated all of the shittiness about Suicide Squad. I don't know why I put myself through it, but we were talking quickly about Eminem before we were started recording this episode. And the playlist of that of that movie is just so bizarre. And yeah, the Eminem song or like comes up and it's just uh, a trip down memory lane that I didn't want. But I have nothing more to say about that movie other than I finally witnessed the horrific train wreck that it is. <laughs> I love that you just compared it to, or like paired it with Goodfellas. That is the ult- That might be the ultimate polar ends of of movies. Well, Martin can't complain. It's a DC movie, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I, those are probably two movies that will never be spoken of in the same sentence ever again. So, yeah, we'll <laughs> leave it at that. Um, <laughs> Well, so as I mentioned, we are talking about heist movies. Uh, We had a great conversation last week about Connor's pick, American Animals. Uh, This week, we are going to be talking about uh, a 2018 movie called Widows by Steve McQueen. And I'm really excited to talk with the group about this one. I picked this because I had never seen it. Uh, Tori, I believe on several episodes had talked about recommending widows. I think when it, I think she had saw it when it came out and, um, it's got quite an all-star cast. So I was very intrigued by it. I've also heard great things about Steve McQueen. I realized that I hadn't seen another movie by him, but I'd been hearing great things about his small acts anthology that had been coming out recently on Amazon, um, that's supposed to be really good. He also did 12 Years a Slave and Hunger great. and Shame, which are movies uh, that came out within the past 10 years. He's really been uh, directing a lot recently. Um, and so I was really excited to finally uh, watch a movie by him. It was directed by Steve McQueen. It was written by McQueen and co-written by Gillian Flynn, which I didn't realize. Um, it was kind of interesting to watch this movie Um in, in thinking about other things that I've seen uh, based on her stories and things that uh, screenplays she's written. So before we kind of dive into the movie, just a unfortunately not so succinct synopsis, because <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out the plot to this movie, to be totally honest with you, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So the movie it's set in Chicago, in modern-day Chicago, we know for sure. And it's essentially kind of weaving two plots together. Uh, one in which three women, who are played by Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, and Elizabeth Debicki, they've just found out that their husbands or partners uh, have been in a, all killed in a heist gone wrong. 
And the character of Veronica, played by uh, Viola Davis, decides to actually pick up where her husband uh, left off to finish her heist that he had planned. And her husband is played by Liam Neeson. And she's she enlists the help of the two other wives um, or widows, uh, and then one of the wives' babysitters, played by Cynthia Erivo. And essentially, the goal of this heist is to rob $5 million from the home of a corrupt politician named Jack Mulligan, who's played by Colin Farrell, who always pops up in the most random roles. He is running for re-election as an alderman of a Southside Chicago neighborhood. Uh, he's running against this character named Jamal Manning, played by uh, Brian Tyree Henry, whose money was initially stolen in Liam Neeson's heist gone wrong, and Jamal threatens Veronica, uh, thinking she has the money uh, after her husband's heist uh, imploded, and he threatens her, so she, that really sets in motion her decision to then continue this other planned heist to steal the $5 million from the corrupt alderman. I am really apologize if that made absolutely no sense. But essentially, the two plots, one is the wives planning the heist. The other is this re-election campaign between Jack Mulligan and Jamal Manning. So after that, if you're very confused... We'll we'll get into a little bit of the nitty gritty of the plot. I believe that this is everyone's first time watching Widows. Am I correct? Yeah. All uh, vigorous nods from the crowd, from the group. What were folks' uh, general uh, impressions of watching this for the first time? This this movie blew me away. There was not one moment where I felt myself getting bored or wanting it to move on, move faster. I ever, I was just in trouble the whole time. And I found myself and I, and I can't believe this because I love Daniel Kaluuya so much, but I was so, so frustrated with him. I was just like, come on. And then like at the very end, I was like, all right, which is a bummer because I love him, but you know, he plays, he played the character really, really well, but that scene that he has, um, and I think that there was like a lot of buzz around that one particular scene when they are, um, when he's listening to the two folks that they're, they're, they're rapping and, and that whole thing happened. Oh my God. So wild, but amazing. So to clue folks in, um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya plays uh, kind of like a like a henchman or like kind of uh, a, a colleague of Jamal Manning who is running against Jack Mulligan, uh, and he plays a, like a pretty intense role. I mean, he's responsible for at least like six. Mur no, maybe five, like, murder? I don't know. There there are multiple scenes in which he kills characters in very intense ways. And um, I was, like, super impressed by his performance. Um, but, yeah, I think he adds a lot of wonderful tension to already tense scenes of murder. Um, how about other folks? It's. I think a lot of our listeners know that we usually record two episodes back-to-back. And so this was super interesting to do a double feature of American Animals and this, because I feel like they are the opposite movies at times and sometimes very similar, uh, maybe because of the heist genre. And overall, I did enjoy this movie, um, but 
and I think Christine will touch on this later, but I felt like it was trying to do too much in the runtime when I wanted to be more in this world and understand these characters more. And because it was a, you know, two hour ish runtime, um, which is a good compliment that I wanted more uh, and ultimately did enjoy it. Um, but have some thoughts about pacing and the script and some kind of things like that. But overall, definitely recommend it. Yeah. Similarly, uh, having not seen this, um, I was confusing this with another movie, which is, um, uh, Connor, maybe you can help me out. We were talking about this the other day, the kitchen. Yes. Yeah, which I understood to be like kind of also like a heist sort of thing, but like you know, and like um, heavily like um, slanted toward uh, toward women characters and so on. Uh, but with that, but, but that was a comedy. Um, so going into this one, uh, I was pretty surprised that it wasn't. Yeah, pretty immediately it, it was it was pretty clear I had mixed things up. Um, that being said, I think uh, I agree with uh, a lot of what I've heard so far. I, I think a lot of the performances are fantastic. I think that. It does take on a lot of different ingredients for a two hour and 10 minute film. That being said, I, you know, uh, I can't think of anything that you could cut or I don't know that there are many parts that adding to it would enhance it that much for me. So though it did feel long, I think it felt earned in its runtime and also is features a ton of like really impressive stylistic sequences. Um, I think uh, as we continue to discuss heist movies, when this theme was brought up, I was really hesitant because I don't in my head. I was like, I, I don't like heist movies. And let me just stop, you know, all the comments dead in their tracks. I felt that way before the Rick and Morty episode, although that Rick and Morty episode points out a lot of valid things that I dislike about a lot of general heist movies. It's a concept of like, oh, we're going to write it backwards from the end so that in the end, uh, you know, like the super smart protagonist was one step ahead of the villain, even though it doesn't seem that way at times. So none of it really mattered at all. Um, and I find that to be really annoying and really cloying in heist movies. And I think this movie does trade in some of the things that I find prevalent in other heist movies, especially concerning burning dialogue that I dislike, but I think because of the way it's handled, because of its context and because of it being of a kind of like break the mold, like um, a very, very women led and women centric um, heist movie. It, it really, it really does a good job of incorporating like traditional heist movie elements without it feeling redundant or like something I've seen before. So I was pretty surprised by it and I really enjoyed it. I think along with uh, that, idea as you mentioned dave of like a a a woman-led heist movie um thinking kind of of like understanding the movie through a feminist lens um were there elements that you thought that the movie introduces that you hadn't seen before uh besides maybe a heist movie uh and heist formula featuring uh four women staging this heist were there other elements to that uh, to the to the narrative or to details um, that you had seen depicted, kind of thinking through that fem- feminist lens that you hadn't encountered in other heist movies or action movies like this. Yeah, so I actually did watch The Kitchen, and um, I thought it was okay. Um, I also was expecting it to be a little bit of a comedy, and it and it was not really. Oh, but I haven't I, seen it. That's the tr- that's the impression I got from the trailer. Yeah, but, but like that's what I thought too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you have people like 
Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish in there. So you think that it is going to be funny. And I think that like, that's sort of what they were going for. You know, like you have these two comedic actors and watch them do something entirely different. You also have, um, what's her name? Elizabeth Moss in there too. Mm -hmm. Um, But so in that movie, these women take over their husbands, sort of um, their husbands beat, and then they become mob leaders, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they do it so well and then eventually become just in the in totally like involved in it all and just like their husbands. Whereas in this one, I was expecting more of the same. I was expecting them all to be really good at this heist and they weren't. And it wasn't and they they were all like, this is it. And then we're done because I don't want to do this anymore. Like I've got a family or I want to be more. I don't want people to treat me like this. And I thought that that was so brilliant because it was just them. We need to do this for right now. And then never again, I don't want to see you guys ever again. And I I loved that. I loved it because that just felt a little bit more realistic to me. Yeah, I think like it's it's very interesting the lens that it, it applies to like we were just talking uh, a little bit earlier, like uh, uh, strangely enough about Goodfellas. It, it reminds me a little bit of like, uh, you know, people who women who are connected to or who are uh, uh, engaged to or married to or entangled with um, career criminals who are men and the kind of lifestyle that that can afford uh, to a degree, but also like the you know, it, it's widows. It, it's the collapse of that safety net as provided by a career criminal and the position that that puts you in, uh, where you, you really are completely exposed to, uh, criminal enterprises that your partner used to be a part of. You also can't necessarily go to the police. Um, so I, I think all those things are really interestingly explored in this movie. And especially as concerns, um, Michelle Rodriguez's character, because I mean, uh, though, um, so throughout the movie, Viola Davis is obviously like the very like uh, the more driven kind of ringleader of the whole thing. Um, Michelle Rodriguez is kind of the one that's one step ahead in having been very, very observant and conscious of the dangers of her lifestyle and her partner. Well, yeah, she like she knows-, knows she knows the writing on the wall as far as Viola Davis's character when she comes to them and says like, hey, like we got to do this thing. You've got to be on board with it. And it's not really she doesn't go ahead and say why she doesn't make a threat. But um, when Alice, after the fact, is talking to uh, Linda uh, and is, is saying like, well, I, I mean, what is she going to do if we don't take part in it? And because Linda is familiar with this world, says like, well, then she's going to give up our names. So like the, the the attention to like where that character, the world that that character has been thrust into and its repercussions is really wow. conscious and really, uh, really expressed and really explored. And I think is a really thoughtful kind of counterpoint to um, to a lot of movies that are, are are more focused on uh male criminals and their their wives and partners being kind of like a second uh second tier character. Yeah, she's I, very much the reality check character. At one point yeah. when they're really trying to flesh through uh, a plan, Michelle Rodriguez's character is like, have any of you been to prison before? Mm-hmm. Because, or visited one even, yeah. Or even visited a prison. It's like these are the real world consequences for what we're about to do. And she, yeah, she kind of grounds those scenes, those planning scenes in a voice of, I know what this is about. And I don't think we've fully wrapped our heads around what this is going to take and what the repercussions could possibly be. Mm-hmm. I really thought the stakes of this movie were stellar. Like every 
minute that this movie goes on, things are ratcheted up in intensity. Um, and especially Daniel Kaluuya's character, who's sort of like the boogeyman of the movie. Like he's always right on Viola Davis's heels, make because she he doesn't he just thinks that they should just kill her and essentially kill her and take the money or ransack her place, do horrible things to her. And so he's always on her tail, always following her. He's just sort of like always just one step behind her. And so I think Michelle Rodriguez too, like does a great job of like bringing in the stakes of like, what are the real consequences of what we're doing and what's going to happen? And why does she knowing that then still participate? I think that's, that was sent like a super powerful message of what the stakes are for her and for these other, other widows. So I thought Steve McQueen did a great job of like keeping the stakes pretty much as high as possible after the ex- literally explosive opening minutes of the movie. Ah, that's awesome. So thinking about elements of stakes, I'm glad you brought that up, Connor, because as when I was trying to give that terribly not simple synopsis, I kind of looked at it as like two plot lines, the heist planning and then this re-election campaign that's happening. Um, how do you feel like those narratives uh, intertwine? So it's like we've got the mechanics of this heist, but then we have the larger backdrop of this sort of like sociopolitical drama uh, exploring, like Jack Mulligan is this like wealthy white uh, politician who's an alderman for a predominantly black neighborhood in Chicago. He's in, he, it seems like there's like nepotism at play. His father's Robert Duvall, um, who I, I, from what I understand was a powerful political figure in this area as well. Um, And then, Uh, Jamal Manning is a black man running against Jack Mulligan, who would potentially, I didn't quite, I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure what the stakes were as far as like, uh, whether he had already had a political leadership position or this was, was his like first attempt at, or like his first rise in politics wasn't totally clear on that. Um, the racial dimensions of politics in uh, in Chicago and really thinking about Jack Mulligan, like the corruption uh, that Jack Mulligan, Colin uh, Farrell's character represents. How do you feel like those narratives work together? Um, and do you think that the ba- the backdrop of the political campaign, how, did, how do you think that shapes how we view the, the heist narrative and the characters involved uh, in the heist? It's so interesting to me because it's just, it goes like full circle, essentially, because like, okay, so Veronica's husband stole from Jamal, right? So mm-hmm. from Jamal's crew. So he stole that money. And then Jamal's crew comes after Veronica and is like, we need this money. And then we find out that Veronica's husband, Harry, uh, spoiler, he's alive. He faked his own death. And um, he's actually paying off um, Jack Mulligan and, and they're involved together. And then his whole plan was to actually rob Jack Mulligan to rob all of them is just like, I can't wrap my head around it. But something that I really, really loved that Steve McQueen did was with this character of Jamal. I think that like, there's this tendency of when you you write this dichotomy here, you create this um, flawed, obviously bad, obviously bad um, 
Jack Mulligan, this white character, and then you have this black character who, when you have it in hands of um, folks who don't often write black characters and are trying to prove a different point, and they're coming from a very like lived white perspective, they create these um, black characters that are holier than thou, right? And that's not necessarily um, while you're doing a good thing while like including diverse characters in your narrative, um, but what you're doing is creating something that's like not necessarily real and so showing jamal like wanting like like i got a little confused into his motivation of like wanting to be um running for this ward and because you know at first you get this idea that you know he's from this community um he wants to run it because he's someone who lives there he even makes that comment to jack mulligan he's like you know there's someone who uh, so you own a house here there's someone who'd want to live in it like uh, like saying that he doesn't actually live in in the place he wants to represent but then when he's talking to um gosh what's uh Daniel Kaluuya's character's name, do we remember? I don't have it offhand. <laughs> when he's talking to Sorry, uh Jatem. Jatem. Okay. So when he's talking to Jatem, he's like, um, yeah, you know, this this role only makes like a hundred grand a year, but it's all about power and influence. It's all about this, this, and this. And you get to put people in power. You get to do this, you get to do that. And I was like, that is fucking rad because what you've just done is you've built like a, a truly three-dimensional character and you're witnessing how like, j- I, like I don't know, I, like I, I can't even really decide of how, I, how I feel about this character, but I just liked that it felt fully formed and actually really like how politics is so i i really appreciated that yeah i think uh brian tyree henry who plays uh jamal uh, jamal manning in this case um he's very well shuffled in because i mean at the same time uh though he is like obviously the the political figurehead of um this movement against um uh, kind of like white nepotism against jack mulligan is is also kind of overseeing what essentially amounts to a criminal enterprise and that largely executed by uh, Jatem, um, Daniel Kaluuya's character. And I, I mean, both both performances are fantastic. Um, and I think there's really some interesting things to be said about um, the time that this movie takes for just like a, a couple of moments or maybe one or two scenes to address um, John Michael Hill as, uh, as the kind of preacher figure and how... Um, how we're treated to this this almost like monologue. I mean, it's it's a sermon, but it's a monologue, um, cinematically speaking, about like loving thy neighbor and that being expressed to a largely black congregation, uh, which is, I don't mean to be too critical of Christianity necessarily, but, you know, it does, it has historically had a bit of a function as far as offering a hollow promise of posthumous salvation at the cost of uplifting action in the real that could actually help people. Um, and I think that's what that love thy neighbor monologue is about and illustrates that, that the church is, and uh, that preacher in particular is very much involved in that kind of like back, back dealing political process um, as far as being able to offer uh, congregational support. If, if he, if uh, Jamal is willing to grease the wheels a little bit in the way that man, um, his opponent Mulligan already has. So I think that it gets into some really interesting stuff with that. I, I don't know that it necessarily sees that through line through to completion, but is a really interesting, uh, a really interesting ingredient to have thrown into the mix. And it, it also connects to this idea. <laughs> it also connects 
to this idea of like the fundamentals of a heist movie are group of people must get money or must get valuables or what it, what's at stake is obtaining something that's valuable. And so I just love the pairing of watching this campaign unfold in which two politicians or competing like politicians are trying to obtain constituents money and trying to obtain money. So this heist is unfolding in which this group of women are trying to obtain money. And I think just the way that McQueen and Flynn have written a, a screenplay that like narratively intertwines them and thematically intertwines them has still gotten me thinking about sort of economic transactions and understanding the theme of economic transaction in kind of the heist narrative because it's paired with this, this political campaign. Yeah. And, and the fact that like, I'm still confused about whose money was whose and, and how much money, like the person who would ultimately get the 2 million and 5 million, like who they would be actually stealing it from. And I think that's kind of the complications are kind of the point as well. It's like at the end of the day, these, chunks of money are passing through so many hands and everything is so kind of um so complicated and and nebul like the whose money is whose is so nebulous it gets to the heart of like um yeah this sort of corrupt foundation of this of um kind of the story and of this city of chicago and and sheds a lot of light on who, like power dynamics and things like that. I'm sort of throwing a bunch of themes in there because I'm still, to be totally honest, processing everything that's presented in the movie. Um, but well, I think you're exactly right. I, it's definitely like, I mean, it's a heist movie principally, but it's also kind of a condemnation of political corruption, how that affects people across socioeconomic backgrounds, um, how, how people can be, applied into that situation um, and how the importance of stoking the support of uh, the socioeconomically disadvantaged and disenfranchised is important within the political process in a cynical and manipulative way. Uh, I, I think that's all there in this movie and it, ma it makes it really fascinating on top of it being a frankly very exciting heist movie. And uh, another um, thing I will, uh, something that one of you had brought up, um, and I can't remember who said it, but it made me think of after Jack Mulligan goes and does a little campaign presentation, kind of stupid performative ribbon cutting or whatever. Uh, there's this amazingly executed shot where it's Jack Mulligan talking with his like assistant or colleague, uh, campaign colleague in, they both get into a car and over the course of their five minute conversation, the only shots that you see are shots from outside the car. And the part of the frame is the car and the part of the frame is watching them drive through from the neighborhood that he was doing this sort of performative presentation in the South side all the way to his mansion or his campaign headquarters. I wasn't quite sure whether the house was his campaign quarters or his house, but it's, like it's kind um, of both. Yeah. This really large mansion um, in this wealthier part of town. And it's just a technique I'd never seen before. And I thought it just was such a wonderful way of conveying so much and watching that neighborhood transformation and then hearing the dialogue, 
without seeing anyone's face just in this anonymous car that they're inside. And I think it's just one example of some amazing techniques that McQueen so masterfully uh, employs throughout the whole movie, especially having to do with cars. Like I felt like I was like, whoa, he loves like positioning cars in really unique ways um, throughout the movie. Yeah, there's some... There's some sequences in this movie that are breathtaking. Uh, that one in particular, when it started, I I was put off by because it's just such an like uh, performative and like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, just like a, a very over the top like uh, I don't know, a Colin Farrell and uh, and his um, a, as Jack Mulligan and um, and his like a PR person or, or, or whomever. But she they're, must be a PR person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. They're they're in the back of the van, and the voiceover is so over like over emotive and extreme <laughs> that I felt it was really at odds with what was what I was seeing. Um, but then it becomes really evident that uh, it, it's a means of uh, applying a an expository dialogue dump within a shot that illustrates something else uh, or, or something connected to it at the same time where, you know, obviously as, as it, the car continues, it's going into um, kind of like a more and more upper crust uh, socioeconomic neighborhood, even though he's supposed to be representing the people that he's just left the site of. And I think that's really effective, but I did find that juxtaposition between the audio and the visual, which I, I found to be really impactful, a little bit tenuous, um, although I see what they're going for it, and, and it is effective. I just, I think maybe the, maybe the voice acting was a little bit more over the top than it should have been. Uh, like there are other maybe sequences. They knew, maybe in another, if he had directed it so that no, maybe if the actors didn't know that that was going to be the technique that was employed and it wasn't an after the fact voiceover and he had actually gotten maybe a more natural conversation, maybe it would have been con- like felt more naturalistic. But something about it. Yeah. Like I see, I definitely see what it's going for. And I definitely see why in that sense, visually, it absolutely works and conveys that metaphor. But yeah, it's just the, I think it's just the tone of the voice acting and the overdub. Uh, There are other amazing car sequences though, too. Um, The intro scene where we're cutting from moments of tenderness between each of the individual widows and uh, their partners and the heist that their partners go on that goes terribly wrong, all shot from the perspective from within the van uh, as the back doors are open is so captivating. There's another really amazing, oh, there's actually, there's like a dozen amazing scenes in this movie as far as cinematography and as far as direction. Um, The bowling alley scene, which is horrifying i was like but, is this going there will be blood <laughs> i was waiting for him to pick up a pen yeah but but it shot so well and just maintains such an amazing tension the scene where jamal comes to um comes to veronica's apartment and um you know the dog's right there and you can tell that's not going to go well and that dog is going to be part of an active threat and the way it it, in almost like one shot kind of follows him with the dog and the, the tension increases. And the one that really blew me away was um, her driver, Buck, um, who's like a close friend of Veronica's and also an associate. The way that scene is filmed is so amazing because it's um, Daniel Kaluuya's character, Jatem, sort of like interrogating him. And like, obviously the tension's growing. Something's going to go awry. It, it, it's reaching a boiling point. But we, the camera follows uh, Jatame's character as he walks out of frame through the room. And then we hear um, his men jump Buck, but we don't see it. And like, it's so effective. It's a really amazing sequence. I feel like that scene, or a, a, a couple of them, 
reminded me of our conversation about um, Inglorious Bastards and like ways that like Tarantino, like techniques that Tarantino uh, uses to like build t- like tension within scenes and draw out scenes to really like build that s- kind of tense, sinister um, tone. And you know, something's going to, somebody or something's going to get fucked up and it's going to be really scary, but it's like, let me draw this out as like, as long as I can. And then I'm going to sort of see this scene through. For sure. And there's, you know, the, the, what we touched on already before too, is the court basketball freestyle sequence where those, they find those two kids and it's just this really great cyclical tracking shot around them. That is one uninterrupted take that goes for so long. And you know, the violence is coming because of the, the tension that that scene creates, but you don't really know when, because the scene goes for so long and it's really affecting. I think uh, Connor might've brought up elements of, of pacing. Um, and I kind of was wondering if there were any things that you wanted fleshed out more or whether you thought the pacing was sufficient for the amount of intense narrative and thematic material that it, that it really broaches. I don't necessarily have like a super cogent answer, like coherent answer for this, but I don't know, maybe like I really enjoyed what like was going on with Colin Farrell and Robert Duvall, but I was like, I feel like I was waiting for like a little more webs of like how that intersects. And this is a pretty, a really dense movie. So maybe there were just like some parts that I was missing. Cause there was also a washer being installed as I was trying to like wrap up the very end of this movie in my house. So maybe I was like missing a few things, but I really, I think at the end I was a little more won over. Like in the beginning, I think I was a little more skeptical of like the pacing and kind of how long things are being drawn out, but especially the character Alice gets a ton of screen time in the movie. And so I think her, as her plot kind of unfolds and how she finds her own way to like survive in this world. And at the end of the movie, I realized that it's kind of really a lot about survival. Uh, Robert Duvall, who plays um, Jack Mulligan's dad, who used to run the district for years and years and years has, you know, it's about survival. And he's this like racist dude. We're really not supposed to like him. But his speech at the end when he's lost, pretty much is, believes he's going to lose everything and his family will lose everything, is like for everybody, it's about survival. It doesn't really matter how you do it. I'm going to call in favors. I'm going to do whatever. Like, it's about survival. And I think that through line shined kind of at the end of the movie. So I don't know if necessarily I would have wanted changes because I think there was a lot of payoff in the final 30 minutes. I felt the only the only area where I wanted a little bit more from was why Veronica and, and Harry, her husband, why that happened, because I didn't buy the fact that they had a child and the child was murdered by the police and that years and years and years later, it seems, then finally their marriage is over and he's willing to like blow up all of the people he's working with and start an entirely new family and then have her steal all this money. That felt like a little far-fetched to me. It was like, and particularly how it sort of ends with them like in a standoff and her being smarter and like shooting him first. Like, I wish I could have learned a little bit more we, we got more of that earlier on than we did. Um, but I thought that the the reveal of that he was still alive was pretty brilliant because it was be- it was because of the dog. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I guess I, I I do kind of 
it feels like I understand it, it. The movie doesn't like under explain that. Like, obviously, you know, uh, he was in a relationship with um, with Veronica. Uh, they had they had a son. The son was killed. Um, he's now started a new relationship um, with, I believe, another one of the widows, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and they've apparently fathered a child together or had a child together. Uh, it seems like they're ready to just like take the money and run. Um, so as far as, uh, as far as him betraying his team, I think that that really explores and, and explains that motivation, but, uh, yeah, I could see where you could want more with that. And we could have maybe taken more time to, um, to develop the tension of those competing dynamics for him, I guess. So as to more, so as to more further explain his, his, his decision and his actions and his motivation, um, I don't know. I, it's a tough call because, like I said, this movie is 210, uh, which is a little longer, um, and it covers a hell of a lot of ground, and it probably could afford to to have been... I could see this movie being like 10 minutes longer, but not much longer than that. So, mixed bag. I don't know. It, it, I think it hammers home the necessary plot points and the emotional pathos behind them enough that it is a good movie, but I think... Yeah, maybe it, it, I could have done with maybe a, just a little bit more. In your notes, Christine, I think you put that this was based off of like a British miniseries and a, its original conception in America was like also an HBO miniseries, but then that turned into a movie. And so I definitely get the vibe of like how this could be turned into like a three, four, five part kind of thing. And I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm a broken record by saying, oh, it'd be cool if this was an HBO miniseries. I feel like I say that fairly frequently and I felt a little targeted, Christine, with your notes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will say that's a bad criticism of a movie. If that if that's your takeaway is that it should be a series, then that is more critical than it is complimentary, I think. I, right? would, I wouldn't totally, Connor, I was thinking about you, but not like going to put you on blast. Like quite the opposite. I was not going to like, I was thinking about our Donnie Darko conversation and our HBO miniseries conversation. I happen to think that this could have actually been an effective miniseries. What I think I wanted was more time with the widows together. I didn't always, I, by the time the movie, cause the heist really is pushed really towards the end I mean, obviously, a lot of heist movies, the heist happens at the, you know, the building culminating moment. But it really felt like the actual planning and the heist was really pushed towards the end of the movie, which was fine. But I I just wanted more moments where all four of them were in the same room, really talking through not only the plan, but really talking through their experiences and it, the the movie shedding more light on their similarities and their differences and, and how that might play out as they try to plan this really intense heist. Like I loved the scene in the sauna uh, when Veronica approaches the um, Michelle Williams or Michelle, uh, Michelle Rodriguez and um, DeBecky, uh, uh, Elizabeth DeBecky's character. And so I wanted more scenes to really uh, look at how their roles sort of unfold. And I loved your all's point at the beginning of the movie about, um, about uh, Michelle Rodriguez really 
being that sort of like reality check, uh, sort of the grounder. I, I just wanted those elements and those roles fleshed out more. And I think with an HBO miniseries, it could have given me that more of those, um, element, those dynamics among the women. Um, cause I did feel like this movie was approaching so much and I was like, wait, wait, I really want to sit with a lot of these characters. And I, I really would love to see these characters in, um, in different situations or in scenes that were extended, I think. Yeah. I, I'm normally very much of the opinion that if, if, if the criticism is that, uh, it would be better served as a mini series or, or a series than a movie, then it as a movie is not good. Um, because obviously there's too many unanswered questions. Um, this though is a tricky one because I do think it is a good movie, but I do think it might actually be better suited to a different format um, because there are so many highlights of this movie, but they're all in competition with each other for space. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think it's one of those rare examples where watching a movie, I might have preferred an episodic uh, series versus uh, versus just one streamlined narrative as a film. Um, and it was originally based, as we discussed, on a series. So it it's introducing a lot of ideas that I don't think it skimps on. I think for the amount of time that it explores them, it does a good job. But this is a big world with a lot of interconnected parts that I think spending a little bit more time with might have been a good call. That being said, I don't think it makes the movie any worse i i think it's crowded and i think it's long but i think it it, it feels complete uh but i w it's one of the rare times connor where i'll agree with you about a movie where like i do want more because normally when it, with the movie i i just want it all on the surface i want it all to be there for me because uh, i think that's better storytelling but with this yeah it, it could have maybe afforded more time for the nuance of the world that this takes place in so um, were there any favorite performances or um, kind of standout, other standout moments that folks wanted to highlight as we're kind of wrapping up our discussion? There's an interesting theme of like parenthood and like what does it mean to like raise kids in this world? Like it's maybe it's like a C or D tier like sub theme, but there are just a lot of really interesting familial relationships in this movie, like father, son, daughter, mother, mother, son. Like there's just a lot of, I, I don't have like, I don't know if there's like a period to this thought, but I just found it interesting of like seeing the different parental and familial dynamics um, that were, you know, intercut with this heist plot. And I think with mm -hmm. a um, like women's centric heist movie, it was a lot also shedding the light about the logistics of how a woman with kids uh, or with a family who's going to actually have time to go and meet with some randos and figure out a heist. And I liked those details, too. And Cynthia Rivo's character is brought in because she is a babysitter for Michelle Rodriguez initially. Um, and so it's like, how do these women know each other? Some through their husbands and some because of the sort of familial uh, circumstances and constraints on their own, their own lives. She was kind of a standout performance for me. Um, I think like adding her into the mix was brilliant. Also, we could not stop talking about, actually we couldn't stop talking about how 
jacked every single one of them were but her in particular like when she was running to the bus all three of us all three my roommates and I we went whoa at the same time because it was so fast and so impressive and then she's like jumping to do like all of the the scouting and I was very rocking that punching bag oh hell yeah I was like holy shit the squat on the fence like scoping out Jack Mulligan's house she's great she's really great everyone is good in this and I think one, yeah, I, I I, feel like I do and I don't want more pushback on Veronica. Like, she is such an alpha figure in this group that I feel like in a miniseries, mini it could be a trap of, like, Michelle Rodriguez has, is at odds with her. Alice is at odds with her. You know, every, like, so it's kind of nice that those were, I, I'm torn between let those more antagonistic vibes go at the expense of just, like, cohesion of getting this plot done. Or, like, would that make it better if there were more, like, people were kind of, like, going after her more? Because she does a really good job of just shutting shit down. And I'm, mm-hmm. like, in a miniseries, I'm wondering, like, would that improve it or just drag it out, like, longer? That's one thing I thought was really interesting about her character is the reveal of her her backstory and her history with uh, 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 Liam Neeson's character and their son, uh, who's, who's who was murdered. Is that we get that about, like... I wouldn't say like two thirds of the way into the movie mm-hmm. where like the whole time as they're planning the size, like the other women are quick to like point out like, uh, she's such a hard ass. She's got like a stick up her butt. Like she's really like unfeeling and just like really cold. And that would be one thing if that was that person's character, but that is rooted in like experience, trauma, survival. And it's not revealed until after she's become this kind of pushy boss presence uh, that that is an affect of someone who has survived and uh, surmounted really serious experience trauma. And it's really cool to see that shuffled into the movie as late as it is for me, because yeah, like the whole time, you know, you could be saying like, uh, why is she being so like, you know, insistent, so like grumpy, so like, uh, I don't know, like particular. And and there's a reason for that because, you know, it's, part of her backstory as uh, like Michelle Rodriguez's character, understanding the world that she's a part of, but also taking the reins um, of the situation with the kind of strength that can be developed through traumatic experience, I guess. I don't know. I'm probably not explaining that very well, but that's that it, it, it really translates and it really lands because that backstory is introduced so late into the film by contrast to how we perceive her initially. Well, and they say, oh, her life is so easy. She doesn't have to worry about any of this. And you're like, well, there's a very specific and horrible reason why she's able to just go all around Chicago because she lost her entire family. Mm -hmm. So kind of along the lines of the dimensions of Veronica's character, I wanted to know the, um, the group's take on the ending where Veronica and I... Is it Linda? What's Elizabeth DeBecky's character's name? Alice. 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 When Veronica and Alice are sitting uh, in the diner, or no, uh, they're separate on separate tables. Alice spots Veronica sitting uh, alone at a table. It's a total um, dark night returns moment. But <laughs> Alice is sitting with a, presumably a new friend she's met or something like that. What did What did you all? How did you all read that ending? I love that it was sort of like we're never doing this again. Veronica says, this is it. This is the one, this is done. And we're never going to see each other again. And she is so adamant on 
that point. And then at the end, it's sort of like a, like a softening, a thawing moment. Yes. That, that was my read too, is that like, there, there is so much of her having to, uh, to take the reins of the situation and be the ringleader. And that means being very harsh, being very deliberate, being very blunt with the other people involved. And like, we can't really know each other necessarily, or we might not know each other when this is over because we're just surviving. And then when the situation is resolved, when she finds closure, because she is able, uh, uh, Veronica is able to, um, use the money to uh, establish or further the school's library uh, named after her, her son. And like, she finally finds like a moment of closure. And it's the first time that we get to see her kind of like let that facade down and actually almost like me, Alice's character for the first time, because this trauma has been laid to rest and she can actually like, she doesn't have to be so stern. She doesn't have to be so like abrasive. <sighs> Yeah, because because you know, not only has her trauma been laid to rest, but their their situation has resolved itself, and now maybe they can get to know each other as people rather than people who are co-surviving a horrifying situation. That's so interesting because that wasn't my read at all. And like you know, listening to you guys talk, I'm like, oh, of course that's what it is. Um, what was your read when I watched that? she seemed manic almost, hmm. you know, when, when that person comes in and she's like, under this table is money, the way that she was phrasing it and, and just the way that she was acting. And when she catches up with Alice at, outside the diner, it seems not desperate, but almost. And hmm. I was like, what's going on with her? You know, so I, I didn't think like, oh, she she healed. Oh, she, you know, might want to get the gang back together. It was really just, a, I think she's broken. That's so interesting. There could definitely Sam, be something I... to that too. Because yeah, she's lost everyone now. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, I was so taken aback by that final scene because... I feel like the way that it's written might suggest healing and a possibility for these women to like build maybe a relationship in the future. But the way it was shot and the and both of their performances added this element of that really complicated that potential like oh there's this moment of reconciliation or of like togetherness. It definitely didn't feel like the the healing ending to like when I saw it. And I and I was trying to figure out what McQueen and Flynn were trying to communicate with that ending. And I still don't think I have a full grasp of what it would be, but it's just interesting because Debeck Alice as a character, she's well-dressed by the end of the movie. She's getting into a car, presumably with a driver. And I guess it's because the this guy that she's met has been continuing to maybe give her all this money and all these luxuries. And that's kind of like her path. And Veronica, presumably, she kind of looks broken and alone. And part of me was like, is she reaching out to DeBecky's character for some like facial recognition that they could potentially be, but it seemed like Alice, like kind of like 
just moves on. I don't know. I, I, it, it didn't, it definitely didn't feel like a moment of, of healing that it was definitely like kind of more of a device or like a dividing moment. That's interesting. I feel like it is. I feel like as, as far as the screenwriting goes, as far as like, if you were to see this as a script, it is, it is a moment of like recognized healing and a potential for rebirth or, or uh, re-entry uh, into, into the lives of other people after surviving such a horrifying trauma. But yeah, you're right. It's not performed that way, which is interesting. And also, I think that the way that I interpreted it, I think that Alice learned how to drive and that was actually her car. <laughs> I got mm. that like she was taking care of herself. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> which, which it felt like, like foils in that moment, right? Because okay, yeah. Veronica had everything put together or she was the leader and she was figuring it out. She was, um, you know, taking control after her life went to shit. And Alice very clearly was, you know, with her mother who was abusing her, then with a husband who was abusing her. And she even has that moment where she's like, I'm not going to let people treat me like shit anymore. I'm not going to let them do that. And so you have this because because ultimately I think like they were antagonistic of each other like throughout the whole movie and so you finally see the end where the roles feel reversed almost I feel like I've now seen a couple things written by Jillian Flynn and her endings are never satisfying and so I think maybe knowing <laughs> that she and McQueen wrote this and that like she like and like I've seen multiple things where endings are very ambiguous and I think maybe that if, has impacted my reading, but I think, I think it's, 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 it was a really cool ending and I couldn't imagine it ending any other way, but um, it was, it's interesting that we all have like <laughs> different, different perspectives. Different yeah. That's it. really neat. Um, Which maybe is a sign of a good ending. I would agree. I think it's a it's definitely a sign uh, of a good ending. And, well, and especially when point, like any final. Yeah, go ahead, Connor. And especially when a heist movie, Dave, at the beginning, you talked about like, um, you know, I had it all figured out. The bad guy right. wasn't a problem the whole time. It's fine because I'm a genius. Yeah. Like, like how many God heist damn movies it. end with people on the beach clinking Mai Tais? Too many. Too many. <laughs> And so it's great that there's this, and it's such a weird shot too, because you move away. Like it's not like a um, like a wide shot of Alice and Veronica. It's just Alice is barely in the front, barely in that shot, maybe mm. four seconds before it pans around to Veronica. And so it's like that's such like a just an unsettling note to like, and the unsettling in a good way of like I don't know mm. how to feel about this thing, but it's like there is a sense of closure, but not like my ties on the beach were set forever closure. Like <laughs> yeah, there's right. still work to be done for her. Isn't there always work to be done? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is a, that's a perfect note to kind of uh, wrap up this discussion. Uh, yeah. Let us know if you've seen, if you've seen widows, please tell us our thoughts. I mean, no, no, please don't regurgitate our thoughts back at us. If someone uh, could transcribe tell, the episode, that would... You, <laughs> you tell us your thoughts. <laughs> um, and, uh, and any other thoughts you might have about movies, about life, send us an email. We're always excited to, uh, 
to bring in, bring in your voice. And um, again, excited to be part of, uh, of Movie John, the podcast network. Uh, check out those other podcasts. Uh, we're excited to continue this month of exploring the heist theme and breaking down uh, Dave's uh, aversion to the heist formula, <laughs> movie by movie. I, I've been thrilled so far that, that I have not found an example of the thing I hate, the things I hate about heist movies thus far. So thumbs up. I really want to make a meme of of Dave when he's Veronica at the end of the movie and he's looking at heist movie genre. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not you can't quite read it, but you're like there's a possibility for reconciliation. <laughs> um, anything folks want to plug or uh, mention or shout out? Well, as we've already covered, Movie John, moviejawn.com. A uh, bunch of really great podcasts that we're proud to be a part of the network of, including uh, Tori and uh, Garrett's podcast that is Killer Bees, that an exploration of. Uh, all things of the uh, the B movie genre, not of course the iconic film B movie, but the <laughs> the subcategory of B movies. Um, and they've covered a lot of really interesting things so far, and they really get into the weeds of uh, some interesting uh, actor profiles and some really, uh, as I understand, some really interesting director profiles coming down the pike. So uh, absolutely keep in touch with that podcast as well as the others on um, on the Movie John Network, and uh, be sure to touch base with us because uh, you know be cool to hear what you have to say about it oh with that have a great morning afternoon evening i feel like we gotta like dusk yeah yeah uh get that nice little little succinct closing sound bite there um yeah and uh we're excited to uh to continue heist movie month next week with you all so have a wonderful week and uh yeah we will be talking at you (laughs) in the coming week Oh, all right. Bye. Can the moment can the moment be for the um the what are we calling it the 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 shots the lake house zoom in the oh yeah is is, it, is that the end shot is that the final whatever sure. what, what, you know what? what were we calling it the, the tonight tonight I'm just gonna I'm gonna make a little Google Doc and put it in the butter files for us to squirrel away and then summon back later. <laughs> Not every movie needs it because some movies are shot very well <laughs> but <laughs> maybe hard to top be. the lake house the lake house zoom in the lake house files the lake house files. <laughs> zoom in <laughs> okay I'm gonna- oh we're still recording <laughs>